that uh, picture up there on the uh, uh, screen for us here uh, two weeks ago. And we talked about, was talking about just the matter of what we call the battle of Armageddon. But when you look at it, it's more than just perhaps maybe uh, just a single battle. Uh, it's more like that there are campaigns or there are stages uh, that are involved in it. It's like everything is moving into place. And uh, so this uh, picture that I have, <clears throat> instead of calling it the battle of Armageddon, we look at it kind of as the campaign uh, of, of uh, Armageddon, eight stages. We got into the first couple, the assembling of the allies of the Antichrist, and then we're going to start in on the destruction of Babylon, and then we'll make a good hard run at some of the other two or other three categories maybe, and then Brother Patterson will pick back up in uh, December, and I'm not sure what I'll do in January. I may pick back up with the gifts of the Spirit and uh, give uh, some of this prophecy stuff a little bit of a rest because I do realize it's heavy. And when you start thinking about it, uh, anytime you start talking about the end times, it can weigh on your mind. And I think some of that has to do with the fact that we're not totally sure how everything works out, except to say that your confidence has got to be uh, in, the, in the Lord. And I believe that the confidence that we can have can, can also be uh, in the church. So uh, when you look, at this matter, there, there will be a part where that Babylon uh, will, there will be a fall uh, that will take place of that and it will be destroyed and uh, the city of Babylon uh, will be rebuilt at some point, will become a world capital and it will be a place that where there's political and economic strength and uh, you can read about that in Zechariah chapter 5 uh, verses 5 through 11 and uh, throughout the tribulation, uh, it will be uh, the, throughout the second half uh, of the tribulation, Babylon will primarily be a very large part of where a lot of the military and economic and political influence uh, is going to come out of. Uh, it's going to suffer sudden destruction, the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, uh, that it's going to go down in one hour. Now, there are some who want to say, well, the U.S. is Babylon. I've heard people want to say that Wall Street uh, is kind of the focus and the center. But again, keep in mind uh, that we're thousands of miles away from where that all of, this in, all of this is taking place. And it would be very difficult for us to have a part, if we are at Babylon, for us to have a part in this end time, as far as especially from the geographical uh, standpoint, there are some who say, well, uh, where is America uh, in history? I have always been taught um, and just listened to Brother Patterson over the years and then listened to various other uh, teachers, Brother Griffin, Brother Hunt, whenever I was in Bible college, uh, that, that they all seem to downplay the fact that America uh, was involved and it very well could be that we just implode internally and uh, we're not the world power that we were even 20 years ago. And, uh, and so again, I think the Lord, again, our confidence and trust is in the Lord. And we believe that God has the church in uh, His hand. But let's look at this matter, the final 
uh, destruction of Babylon is going to be very similar uh, to what Sodom and Gomorrah uh, look like. And, and again, uh, we look to Scripture to really help us to kind of put together all the details and the pieces uh, of this. So I want you to turn uh, in your Bibles to, to um, look at Isaiah chapter 13. And in Isaiah chapter 13, I want to start uh, in verse 19. Uh, the Bible tells us that uh, it will only literally be a place that's going to look like for uh, a place where that wild animals are going to be able to exist there. Look at verse 19. The Bible says there, And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees' excellency, shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It shall never be inhabited, neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation, neither shall the Arabian pitch tent there, neither shall the shepherds make their fold there, but wild beasts of the desert shall lie there, and their houses shall be full of doleful creatures, and owls shall dwell there, and satyrs shall dance there, and the wild beasts of the islands shall cry in their desolate houses and dragons in their pleasant palaces and her time is near to come and her days shall not be prolonged. Now, I want you to look to chapter 14 and let's look, he continues on. He says, For the Lord will have mercy on Jacob and will yet choose Israel and set them in their own land and the strangers shall be joined with them, and they shall cleave to the house of Jacob. And the people shall take them and bring them to their place, and the house of Israel shall possess them in the land of the Lord for servants and handmaids, and they shall take them captives whose captives they were, and they shall rule over their oppressors. Now, Here's what it happens. The final destruction is going to relate to the final redemption of the nation uh, or of, of Israel. And uh, then skip down and look at verse 22. The Bible says, Therefore I will rise up against them, saith the Lord of hosts, and cut off from Babylon the name and remnant and son and nephew, saith the Lord. I will also make it a possession for the bitter and for the pools of water, and I will sweep it with the besom of destruction, saith the Lord of hosts. And, and so again, what, what you're looking at is like un, unlike other nations, there will not be a surviving remnant. And so when Babylon is destroyed, the Lord is ultimately going to be against Babylon. Now, Here's the part where that you start looking back in the origination of Babylon, and this is a rabbit trail I don't need to get on. And uh, so watching the clock and watching the rabbits, so I'll try not to run them down the trail too far. But uh, the beginning or the existence of Babylon comes in uh, Genesis chapter 11 whenever you start looking at the Tower of Babel. And, and it was out of that. You remember Nimrod was kind of the chief guy that was the one in charge. But here's what takes place. That, that spirit of Babylon in Genesis 11, 
was very much a force that extended all the way through the Old Testament and, and it picks up and kind of reaches its apex whenever Nebuchadnezzar uh, is the king of Babylon. You remember he has those dreams in Daniel uh, chapter 2 and, and he begins to have that and he, he has that dream of that image and then he creates that image in, Genesis, in Daniel chapter 3 and he wants everybody to bow down and worship uh, that, that idol. Now here's what's strange about that matter is that there is a part where that, that Genesis 11, this area of Babylon, you trace it all the way through the Bible and it still, it starts in Genesis and it never dies, it still shows up in the book of Revelation. And that's the part where that again, if you're, if you're, you're a Bible student, not a Bible reader, there's a difference. If you're a Bible student, then what happens is, is you begin to trace through and realize that even in our day today, we're dealing with ancient spirits. Those spirits, those spirits that were after after uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the um, in the Old Testament, or if you watched Veggie Tales, Rack, Shack, and Benny. And uh, but those spirit, that spirit that was after Rack, Shack, and Benny, um, that same spirit is still alive even today. And I'm just going to tell you this: if ever we needed the power of the Holy Ghost in our lives to be able to walk a life in spiritual authority, that today is the day. That's why we have to be filled uh, with the Spirit, because what starts in Genesis and concludes there in Revelation. We ought to take, uh, you'd say, well, you're taking, taking comfort in the destruction of something. I, I just believe that those things that oppose and come against the Spirit of the Lord, that those things will come down because our God is a mighty warrior. Uh, the Scripture indicates that, that to us, and there are various other places where that you look at it. Now, Jeremiah chapter 50 and 51 uh, two long chapters that Jeremiah gives whenever he starts talking about the destruction of Babylon. And then in Revelation chapter 18, uh, verses 1 through 24, there's another very extensive description of the destruction uh, of uh, Babylon. Now keep this in mind, that, that, that politically, economically, that Babylon will rule for the first three and a half years whenever the tribulation uh, begins. Its destruction is going to turn it into the place of the habitation of demons. Look at Revelation chapter 18. I will read uh, that verse. Look in Revelation chapter 18, and I want you to look in verse 2. Here's what uh, John sees. Uh, the Bible says there, let's start in verse 1. And after these things, I saw another, let me just point this out. Uh, when you're looking at, at the book of Revelation, uh, where it says, and after these things. What, why is that important? It's because what it does is helps us to understand that the book of Revelation can be understood in a matter of, of chronological unfolding. 
Now, there are times where that you can pull and there are simultaneous events that are taking place at the same time, but John writes, he's watching this thing kind of unfold. You remember it's called the revelation of Jesus Christ, not the revelation of John, but it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's called the uh, the apocalypse, and then people use that word in a base. Oh, the apocalypse, that's scary. The apocalypse just means the unveiling, just means the unfolding. It just means the opening up, the revelation. I'm beginning to see what's taking place. And so he says, after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils or demons, and hold and the hold of every foul spirit, or Jesus used the unclean spirits, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Now, right there in that one single verse. John gives us a picture of the hierarchy that you can see that the organization of the kingdom of darkness is very, very organized. Don't think for a second that it's not in that place. And Sunday, uh, whenever Brother Patterson was preaching, I had to really just kind of say, listen to what he's preaching about because he, he got into some places and I wanted to go chase rabbits while he was preaching, but he was talking about the danger of danger of emptiness. And you remember what he, he got to talking about? And then he kind of made that sidebar about uh, in Mark 5 where the, those devils were saying, don't put us out of our country, let us hang around here. That right there tells you there are territorial spirits. Now, I know there are people that mock Pentecostals and laugh at Pentecostals and y'all are crazy for believing that, but there is ample Bible documentation, evidence to see that there are territorial spirits and we deal with them in our area. There, there, there are spirits that are here that are indigenous to our area and we deal with them. We may not deal with the same things that they're dealing with in, say, Albany, Georgia or Enterprise or wherever. We've got our own set of devils. And, and so when you read verse 2 here, Revelation 18, it is in that matter where you can begin to see that there is a hierarchy that is laid out uh, in that matter. Now, the reason for the judgment uh, is because of the global political corruption because it talks about the kings of the earth and then the global economic corruption, the merchants of the earth. Now, I, I try not to I try not to waste time. I hope I don't waste time, but periodically I can get drawn into some of these documentaries. Now you have to know this. These people that do these documentaries, they always got their their deal, their take, their side, their deal on it. Okay? I just recently uh, run across a documentary that talked about how it's called the Panama Papers and uh, talked about how that there was a law firm down in Panama City, Panama, not 80 miles from here, but Panama City, Panama. It started, and there was an exposure of that in 2015. It ended up taking down the Prime Minister of Great Britain. It took down the Prime Minister of Iceland. 
It took down multiple high-level politicians that were involved. Here's what they began to express. That 1% of the population of this earth controls 99% of the monetary gain that takes place. Now, most of us, I think probably most of us in here, we think we're doing good just to make ends meet. And I used to work with a physician, and you'd ask him, Hi, hey, Doc, how you doing? I'm trying to make ends meet. And uh, you know how that is. You try to do your best to make ends meet, but you look that that part. And again, I have to say you have to weigh out what's being said, and I did look up. Uh, some of the, the facts behind the Panama Papers. But again, you start realizing the economic corruption that takes place here in this earth. And what is it doing? It's suppressing most of us. And we're like, oh, we got to be ready for retirement. We got to, you know, want to do this and that and the other. And yet, it's the upper 1%. And, and when Babylon comes down and is destroyed, the Lord is going to deal with that kind of stuff. And I, I again, you, you're like, if you're like me, there are times where that, that you want justice to come to that. You look at the corruption that is in various places. Babylon is a picture of political corruption and is a picture of global economic corruption and none of that can be called a wild conspiracy theory because the Lord is going to deal with that and in one hour's time, Babylon is going to be destroyed. Now there's three classes that's going to fall. The political leaders, you can see that in verses 9 and 10. The merchants of the earth, that's in Revelation 18 verses 11 through 17a. And then the transporters of the goods, that's in 17b uh, through verse 19. Those are the classes that whenever it falls, they are going to be weeping and wailing and mourning and carrying on. At the same time, there will be people that will be rejoicing because Babylon has fallen down. Now, who are those people? Who, who are those folks that's going to be excited about the fall of Babylon in one hour. Well, the answer is in verse 20. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. So who's in that category? Rejoice over her, thou heaven, we could say saints, then the holy apostles and the holy prophets. They are going to rejoice whenever they begin to see the collapse of an economic and political system that started back in the book of Genesis that wanted to usurp the, the authority and the power of God. And so this spirit of Babylon, I'm going to throw a book at you. Uh, I don't agree with everything in the book. As you, most books, I don't. But you ought to pick up uh, Jonathan Kahn's book, uh, called The Return of the Gods. Uh, Brother Lewis recommended that book to me. And, uh, and don't, if you get it, and if you get it on Kindle, don't start it tonight. Uh, because if you do, you'll end up working night shift. And you'll be bleary eyed at 3 o'clock in the morning. And you're like, why in the world did he tell me about this book? 
Okay, but it's very, very interesting where it talks about old spirits in new days and there is a lot of truth that you find in that. And again, whenever I read books like that, I'm always looking, I'm hunting for Scripture. Let's look at where the Bible indicates that these things are taking place and I do think there is some validity to some of what is taking place. And so again... The Lord's enemies, uh, they uh, are going to be, they're going to come against them. Now, the destruction, what does it do? It symbols that the second coming, which means that the Lord is going to settle down in, and I'm not going to have time to get in on it here tonight, but not only will the Lord settle in at the Mount of Olives and take place, but there's another area where that he's going to land on, and that's a place called Basra. And Basra is a area, it was the old ancient Edom. Uh, today it's the modern day Jordan. Now what's going to take place is, is the Jewish leaders and the Jewish constituents or citizens that are in Jerusalem, when everything starts descending down on Jerusalem, some of them are going to be killed, but some of them are going to run and they're going to flee. And they're going to run out of a place and they're going to go south down in southern Jordan, and they're going to land in a place where that it is at Basra. Now, here's what's going to happen. The Lord is going to walk in there, and he's going to deal with them, and he, again, is, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. He's going to come after them. Uh, but anyways, I'm jumping the gun, but let's look now at the third stage, and that is the fall uh, of, of Jerusalem. So uh, number three, if you can find it right there, is going to be right in that part there Jerusalem is. And it's pretty amazing how that the entire population of the armies of the world are going to kind of move in and descend in uh, to that place there. And, uh, and so, so again, uh, they're, they're coming into that area, the Antichrist, uh, is going to move south uh, toward Jerusalem, and Zechariah describes it. In fact, why don't you turn back uh, in the Old Testament and look at uh, what he has to say. Zechariah chapter 12, and let's look there in verse 1. Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 1, the Bible says there, The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens, and layeth the foundation of the earth, and formeth the spirit of man within thee. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about, when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people, all that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. And then look over a page or so and look in chapter 14 and look in verse 1. The Bible says there, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, 
and half of the city shall go forth into captivity and the residue of the people shall not be cut off uh, from the city. So again, when you start looking at it, everything is coming down and is going to land there on that city of Jerusalem. It's kind of like there's a magnet that's being pulled in and drawn in and everybody is going to be Israel's enemy at that point. Now the Antichrist uh, at that point is going to have his armies with him and it's going to move into the place where that Jerusalem is going to fall into enemy hands. Now even though it's going to fall into enemy hands, here's some things that you've got to understand. It's not going to come easy for those that are attacking Israel or attacking Jerusalem. It's not just going to just fall down just because they decide that they're going to come in there and go at it. Because here's what God's going to do. God is going to energize those Israeli fighters. I believe just like he's done here in the last uh, six weeks. That you pretty you look at what's taking place. These guys, uh, especially now that some of these uh, hostages... That, are, that were kidnapped, uh, that are out. Can you imagine five stories down and, and yet not a lot of casualties that, that these Israeli, that the army, uh, the IDF has had? And, and so it is that the Antichrist is going to accrue some pretty heavy losses. Now you say, well, how, how do you know that? Well, look there at Zechariah chapter 12 and look in verse 4. The Bible says there, In that day, saith the Lord, I will smite every horse with astonishment and his rider with madness. And I will open mine eyes upon the house of Judah and will smite every horse of the people with blindness. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, The inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength in the Lord of hosts their God. In that day will I make the governors of Judah like an hearth of fire among the wood and a torch of fire in a sheath, and they shall devour all the people round about on the right hand and on the left, and Jer Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, even in Jerusalem. The Lord also shall save the tents of Judah first, and the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem do not magnify themselves against Judah. In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David, and the house of David shall be as God and the angel of the Lord before them. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Israel. Now again, there are some incredible word pictures that you begin to see uh, throughout that. And for the sake of time, I won't uh, go through all those, but word pictures were just pictures of, of the destruction uh, that, that is on uh, the way that is to take place. But again, uh, we look at the providence of God that is supporting those armies and those people that are coming against Jerusalem in that day. Now, now what does that look like? Well, we, we read it. The Jewish military leaders are going to be so energized 
that it appears that they're going to strike down their opponents. We see that in verse 6. He says it's going to be like a hearth of fire among the wood and like a torch of fire in a sheath. They're going to devour all the people around about. And then look in verse 8. They're going to take on the strength of David. You remember about David. He starts with bears and lions, progresses to giants. Then he moves into a place where that he's a military leader and accomplishes great things uh, there in uh, the nation and the state of Israel. And then the Bible indicates that those that are in the house, are, are, are that's the, the strength of David. And then the Davids, they seem to take on the angel of Jehovah. That's in verse 5 or verse 8 there. It says, And the house of David shall be as God, as the angel of the Lord before them. So here's what's taking place. Is that these people that are going into this battle, that they've got great strength with them. Now again, I don't know if you, you saw, but there was a, a, uh, one of the soldiers of the IDF had a book of Psalms and had it up apparently in his, on his, in his pocket or up on his, that belt that goes up around his shoulder. And uh, there was apparently a bullet that hit that and uh, stopped in the middle of that, and that thing saved his life. You think, oh, that's just coincidence. Well, if they want to choose to think that's coincidence, then so be it. I, just, I don't believe that uh, that, that is, is, uh, is coincidence. And yet whenever you do begin to look uh, throughout the... Uh, Bible, here's another place. I want you to turn over and look at, at Micah chapter 4, and I want you to look there in verse 11. Micah chapter 4 and verse 11. Now, here's what I'm doing. We read these, these chapters in the Bible, but when you start studying prophecy, what takes place is you use cross-references. So you've got multiple prophets that are speaking at various times. And then when you pull in what they have to say, it kind of gives you a better idea of what the picture is. So look there uh, in verse 11. The Bible says, Micah chapter 4, verse 11, Now also many nations are gathered against thee that say, Let her be defiled, and let, her, let our eye look upon Zion. But they know not the thoughts of the Lord, neither understand they his counsel. For he shall gather them as the sheaves under the floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make thine horn iron, and I will make thy hoofs brass, and thou shalt beat in pieces many people, and I will consecrate their gain unto the Lord and their substance unto the Lord of the whole earth. Now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid seeds against thee, against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. So when you start looking again, the strength of the Jewish military is described here. It's like, okay, God comes in, and again, I would just say this. Now, you, you, you've heard that old statement before. They say God helps those that help himself. And I think there's probably some part that is to that. However, I will say this. If we do what we're supposed to do, 
God will do what he's supposed to do. If you do the part that you're supposed to do, then God will do his part. And then when you step back and you look at it, you're like, you know what? I didn't do that. All I was was I was just faithful. I just did what God called me to do. And as you were working for the Lord, what did the Lord do? He extended and expanded that work through that. So in verse 11, nations against Israel, verse 12, they're going to become like the sheaves of the threshing floor. And then in chapter 5, verse 1, uh, the battle, it will, it will be lost, um, but there's going to be a great fight that is going to be taken up. And then you look in uh, Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 2. That's the aftermath of the battle. And the Bible tells us some pretty bad things are going to take place there uh, in, in Jerusalem. Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 2. Uh, the Bible tells us that that city uh, will be pillaged and the citizens that are still left there are going to be violated. Now, we'll just kind of real quickly... Uh, go through this fourth stage and that is where that the armies of the Antichrist uh, now they're going to come in that area and I kind of jumped the gun a minute ago about Basra and they're going to move into that area which is going to be Jordan. Now if you've been paying attention to the news and you think okay where is Jordan at? That's on the other side of the Jordan River. What's taking place is from the south they've had to deal with Hamas from the north They've had to deal with Hezbollah. And then there's the concern. Right now, all the Jordanians seem to be kind of, you know, they're kind of hesitant, except uh, the other day they kind of got a little skirmish of uh, trucks and, and uh, military things all going on. And so that kind of gets the IDF into a place where, hey, we're watching what is coming across. Now, again, it's like last night whenever we were doing a systematic theology class. Again, it's important that when you look at Bible prophecy, look at the current events, look at what's taking place there, but we're not interpreting current events. We're interpreting Scripture. So when you look at what Scripture has to say, it's then you're like, I see how that is all fitting together. Now here's what's going to take place once it all unfolds. It's going to be just like us now, when we look back at the book of Daniel and we see the way that it has unfolded from Daniel chapter 7 all the way to Daniel chapter 12, that you see the unfolding of all these world empires, you go take a Western civil, or a, a, a world uh, history class at any college, junior college, four-year school, uh, if you decide you want to get a, a PhD in world history, uh, here's what you're going to do. You're going to track through the scriptures and yet they'll say, well, the Bible's wrong. Is it really? And so here's what takes place. Now, whenever we read Daniel 7 to Daniel 12, what are we doing? We're looking back. We can see how it's unfolding and we're like, that makes sense. That same thing will happen to us. Once it all unfolds, then you'll turn around and you'll look and say, I, you know, I was wondering how that was all going to fit into place. And then you're going to read it, and you're like, oh, man. But what we're doing is we're looking forward. And so as you look forward, sometimes it doesn't all fit into that part. So what do we do? We stick with the Bible. 
because if you start, I can remember as a kid, um, I remember him talking about Henry Kissinger. I didn't know who Henry Kissinger was when I was in, I was in the 70s. Henry Kissinger is the Antichrist. And, uh, and then, and then uh, Saddam Hussein is the Antichrist. I got so shook up during the Gulf War in 90, uh, 91 or 92, I, I talked to my dad, talked to Brother Patterson, talked to Brother Griff. I need to hurry up and go back home. Uh, this place is standing on its head, and Saddam Hussein's Antichrist, and and uh, Brother Patterson, you know, he, you know, he didn't say yay, nay, but he just kind of, you know, he probably ought to stay out there. My dad did say, no, you need to stay out there. And Brother Griffin said, you need to stay here. And I thank God now that I did stay because Saddam Hussein was not the Antichrist. Okay, and then they they Bill Clinton, he's the Antichrist, and and. Uh, <laughs> Jimmy Carter's Antichrist, and Ronald Reagan's Antichrist, and George Bush's Antichrist, and, and Gorbachev, he's Antichrist, and now Vladimir Putin is Antichrist. Be careful with that. Okay, we know Antichrist is coming, but you got to be careful about trying to slot all that stuff in. We do know that he's coming. That's a fact. So just be careful about when you start trying to... Uh, in fact, I think there's probably some folks a time or two thought I was Antichrist, but anyway, uh, we'll move on from that. Uh, but in the fourth stage of that, the, the armies of the Antichrist uh, are going are gonna to meet up there at Basra. Uh, again, that's the area around southern Jordan or so. Now, now, keep in mind, what is the main goal of Armageddon? They're wanting to destroy the Jews. That's the fact. They've always been wanting to destroy the Jews. Okay? Herod wanted to destroy whenever he found out Jesus was thought he was the Messiah. They'd wiped out kids in Bethlehem. Remember Pharaoh? All the way through the scriptures, constantly people are trying to annihilate and kill the Jews. That's the purpose of Armageddon is the destruction of the Jews. And the armies of the world are going to move south. I want you to turn with me now, and let's look in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 49, and I want to start in verse 13. Jeremiah chapter 49 and verse 13. Here is what uh, Jeremiah writes. He says, and again, this is the word of the Lord. He says, For I have sworn by myself, saith the Lord, that Basra shall become a desolation, a reproach, a waste, and a curse, and all the cities thereof shall be perpetual waste. I have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent unto the heathen, saying, Gather ye together, and come against her, and rise up to the battle. Now, here, here's what is taking place. They're going to move, why, what, what's the goal there? They're going to try to move into that place to try to destroy the remnant. Who's the remnant? All those people that have fled from Jerusalem. So you've got, just like a war, they're, they're running. The refugees, people are running. So they've run down, they're now in Basra. And so what's happened is, it's kind of like the net is trying to be circled, and they're going to come in, and they're going to say, we're going to get after Basra. 
Now, if you look in Micah, Micah chapter 2 and verse 12, um, look at what takes place there. Micah chapter 2 and verse 12, uh, he writes it. He says, I will surely assemble, O Jacob, all of thee. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together as the sheep of Basra, as the flock in the midst of their fold, and they shall make great noise by reason of the multitude of men. Now, again, you see that? I'm going to gather the remnant of Israel, that small little handful, that remnant. And I believe there's going to be remnant churches in the, in the end time. I really do. I believe there are going to be remnant churches. There's going to be remnant saints. There's going to be remnant preachers. And church, y'all listen to me. We got to be part of it. We have got to be a part of the remnant. And I, I know uh, we got a prayer revival coming up. And you're like, this is a 915th prayer revival. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Brother Harrelson, you're about to wear us down with those sermons, those hour-long sermons. Just, just you, You're wearing us down telling us we ought to be coming to church. You, you're wearing us down. Just I'm going to keep wearing y'all down. I am. I'm going to stay at it, y'all. We are too close to the end. I pray you get a second win. Okay? I pray you do. I feel the Spirit of God right now. I want to shout and yell at y'all. I just tell you, I just, I want that. I want that for me and I want it for you. That, that, that the Spirit of God just, just anoints you in a special way. And that you're able to realize and to, to discern and to see the slippery places and to, and to be able to be aware of what's coming against you is trying to hinder and stop you because I want us to, when we hit the finish line, I don't want them to say, hey, y'all come over here and bring him some oxygen. Y'all come over here and resuscitate them. I don't want that. I want us as a church, when we hit that line, that, there, that there's strength and there's purpose and there's power, but I also know this, there's a price tag on that. There's a cost on that. And you gotta, you gotta, you gotta pay, you gotta pay the, the price there. Um, and and so so with the the end of that stage, uh, the the end of stage four, uh, the last three days before the second coming will begin. And uh, the if you want to know about the the days it's laid out, it's in a, in Hosea chapter six and the first three verses, but it's. Uh, it's 8.28 I wish I had another hour but I don't so I won't get into the next section so we got a good stopping place so why don't we stand and uh, and I thank the Lord that you're here tonight I felt felt the spirit of the Lord while we were singing and uh, spirit of liberty was here tonight while we were praying and I felt the liberty of the spirit while I've been teaching and I apologize I should have cranked down the air conditioners for y'all but I walked in and it was like 69 degrees, and I thought, well, we're just going to save a little money on electricity. And so, but anyways, but, but I'm glad you hung in here with us. And uh, it's going to be a great weekend. 
believe the Lord's going to help us, but let's thank God for His Word and for His Spirit here tonight. Lord, I'm thankful, Lord, for this gathering. I'm thankful, God, for Your goodness, Lord, in our lives. I pray, Lord, tonight that, God, that every person that's here, that, Lord, that You would bless us, God, with a second wind. And that, God, that there would be an anointing of the Spirit of the Lord. That, God, that it would be so focused in on us. That, Lord, that we would do Your will. That, God, that we would fully give ourselves, Lord, to Your purpose. I ask You, Lord, tonight, that, God, that You save our families. Lord, please, Lord, save us from this untoward generation. I pray, God, that you gather our children in. Lord, our grandchildren. Lord, our great-grandchildren. I pray, Lord, that, that God, that those that are around us that need to hear, Lord, the word of truth, that, God, that you would be able to help us, Lord, to speak those things to them so that salvation would take place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Lord bless you. Thank you for coming to church tonight. And uh, Friday night power supply at 7. Church will be open Saturday night for prayer. And uh, we'll let you know something about the garage sale. Okay, it's going to be on. It'll be inside uh, in the Youth Sanctuary Fellowship area. Uh, Saturday, Lord bless you, you're dismissed.